0: Mike, smart question, yes. Is that okay, Mike?
1: Yes, thinking of a smart question, stand by. It's
0: okay, we, we, we got plenty of time.
1: I'm not gonna bore the audience right now with how to set up a continuous delivery pipeline or do DevOps in detail and building software.
2: Yay! Yay. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone, newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different
0: key topics, providing context, background, best practices and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most
2: out of it. I'm your host, Roland Volt, and I'm joined today by my co-host, JM Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? Hey, Roland, I'm having a great one. How are you doing? I'm doing fine because we have a very, very special guest today in our show.
0: My goodness.
2: Um, (laughs) We have one of the most experienced architects that I know on the line. Um, His name is Mike Idengren. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? Hey,
1: Roland, and thank you for that over-anxious introduction. I definitely appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're really excited. Mike, you know, you're our first
0: guest ever on the What's Your Baseline podcast, aren't you? Aren't you honored to be our very first I
1: am and I really hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> oh, well,
0: we're excited to hear your opinion and thoughts and of course, uh all your expertise that you've got today to talk about. Um so let's let's talk about you and let's talk about uh what we're going to do. So, you know, first and foremost, I think our listeners would love to get to know you a little bit better. So, tell us about yourself, Mike. You know, who who are you and what do you do?
1: Sure. Um I'm a I'm a software developer by trade and I've uh spent you know since the late 90s early 2000s I was a grew up as a webmaster in the in the early days of uh, folks who do web development recommend or will remember things like Alistair Coburn and object oriented development and the the birth of those things and we all got really excited about those things and we started doing the agile thing we were like let's everybody use user stories and cool stuff like that and and power to the people uh-huh and uh you know that that went well in small teams and what for not. What not for a long time and i started getting involved in things like business process management and enterprise architecture and things like that and eventually left the utility company i was working at and started advising for clients such as boeing um and uh some other large organizations oil gas and and uh banking and, and telecom and um you know came came to the Eventually got to the point where I said, wait a minute, I've been doing so much enterprise architecture, and BPM. What about that agile thing? That was pretty cool back in the day. It wasn't so heavy. It wasn't so, so, uh, you feel like we could, you could go in different directions faster We're talking about governance all the time. And I said, man, there's gotta be a way to combine all this stuff together. And, and that's what I hope to share with you guys today. Oh, wonderful well
0: that, that's that's really cool to to hear your your background and a little bit of the experience and and your vision for how things can come together Roland how do, how do you know Mike <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> tell tell us your know, war stories. Yeah, we we know each other for more than 10 years by now. So um, when he was uh, fresh and joined Software AG um, back in 2011, he had the pleasure or displeasure to working with me on one of the larger projects that we had way back when in Florida, which was interesting to say at least. And uh, then out of this. Um, professional relationship, I think, emerged a friendship, and uh, for whatever reason, he followed me then to KPMG, (laughs) and uh, now he has his own uh, firm. Mike, tell us a little bit about your firm.
1: Yeah, yeah, just sort of uh, continuing on with the theme of combining together BPM, Enterprise Architecture, and Scaled Agile, Um, I founded leanscaledarchitects.com. And uh, we, what we really want to do is, is just walk the talk, uh, really figure out how we can combine those three things, three uh, typically not going well together uh, disciplines, and how do we make the most of them, and get folks to say, we need a little bit of all three and kind of balance across them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there's a word that I like to use quite a bit, it's balance. Yeah before we get to this, Mike,
2: talk a little bit so that the audience get to know you a little bit better. Talk a little bit about what you're doing outside of work. What are your hobbies and interests and bucket list items?
1: Yeah, yeah. So much like yourself, Roland, I really enjoy the travel thing back when we used to travel all over the place. oh yeah, um, and got to see most of the States and JM. I know you've seen quite a bit of the The uh, country as well, you know, U.S. and Canada. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, These days, I find myself in uh, in in Boston and Provincetown mostly area, and and, uh, one of my things is biking every single day uh, in the in the trails, and it's. uh, it's my, one of my favorite hobbies to do. And, and have
2: very explicit coffee tastes. So whenever you get the oh. chance to go to Starbucks with Mike, be prepared for a treat, <laughs> uh, because I think he orders everything that's on the menu and then puts all those pastel thingies in there. So um, anyways, you want.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't no, no worry. Roland
2: doesn't judge folks
0: except on their coffee theories. Yeah, of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> coffee and motorcycle. You know, JM, oh,
0: know. that's that's how it goes. That's the way. Well and, and tell us tell us a bit about you you know, we Roland always talked about bucketless items. What are your what are your dreams and goals in life, my friend? I know it's a big question, but our I think our listeners would love to know just a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, one of my biggest uh, professional dreams is just to make a difference in the community, mm-hmm. uh, to really contribute something that is, that is recognized as recognized as as really helping uh, organizations, whether they're you know nonprofits or whether they're for profits, corporations or government, really use their effic- their resources more efficiently to produce better things mm-hmm. that are higher quality. Um, and one of the one of the uh, concrete ways I am doing that is to is to embark on the journey of publishing a patent really called the lean agile blocker index and i am uh, about 70 percent of the way there and that is one of my major goals that i hope to be accomplishing which soon. we definitely will
2: talk about a little bit later in this shows when we come to the topic of how but maybe we get started a little bit about for those guys on the line who haven't heard anything about agile and scale agile can you talk a little bit about what that is for layman
1: yeah, I sure can. And you know what? Before we get to there, and I want to talk about the the very big goal as to why we talk about any of mm-hmm. this, Scaled Agile or EA or BPM. Because we can do cool things and we can say we're going to use cool technologies or whatnot, but I want to bring it back to the one big goal, which is for any organization, whether it is government, non-government, whatever, the big goal is timely release, operation, and maintenance of quality assured products and services in a cost-effective way.
0: If that's gonna be your big goal, there seems like a, a few different things you're talking about there. First and foremost, you're talking about something that might orient to a project or to a development framework and methodology, so timely. What, what, what do you mean by that? What, what's your first qualifier for that statement?
1: Yeah, yeah, There's there are two major big pieces on how we'll attack that statement and how we're gonna make that happen. Uh, the content, uh, so technical and non-tech, so development of software um, and BPM practices. So that's that's managing the actual content of, of the projects. And then there's the how, which is the project management itself. Uh-huh. And I will replace the term, the phrase project management with agile program management uh-huh. in the future when we talk about that. That's our upgraded term for that, which leads us into your question talking about scaled agile when we first opened up the podcast i was discussing how you know i started small and we were talking about cool stuff like object oriented and small team development and that worked well for a long time before we realized wait a minute when we're putting in things like massive erp programs these techniques really don't work any as well when we're trying to coordinate these large teams of efforts so we started talking about how do we scale up, and one of the big frameworks that started getting developed around 2010 is scaled agile. Uh, Scaledagileframework.com is the open, freely, re- uh, freely revealed framework for anyone in the world to use. And of course, the scaled agile incorporated uh, company sells training uh, and some services to so they can they can uh, they can eat right. So. It's become a really big, um, convenient way to combine a lot of complex pictures together. Um, and, uh, and, And when we talk about Scaled Agile Framework for Enterprise, we are literally talking about taking these concepts of agility and applying things like an architectural runway that will allow us to put in just enough structure and investment so that these teams who know the business, who know the technology can be unleashed enough to produce products and services, quality assured products and services in a cost effective way. That's the goal.
2: Yeah, but before we get to this, and and I know you have an answer for this, because when I did my SAFE certification, you were my coach. So. I know that SAFE obviously is more. And, and can you talk a little bit about what the word scaled in this context means before we get to the role of architects in,
1: in that concept? Of course. And that's a, that's a really good lead in. Because in this, to get to that big goal, we will be talking about things in the context of SAFE a lot more than we'll be talking about details of BPM and EA. BPM and EA will be a, a, a means to an end. SAFE, Scaled Agile Framework for Enterprise, has what's called a big picture. It's it's a literally a corncopia of all of the pieces of software development, program management and and DevOps that have been vacuumed into this one picture over many years. It's at scaledagileframework.com. I'm not going to go through all the little pieces of it, but it basically occurs in three layers. Portfolio is the top layer which talks about how do we take organizational strategy and align it to the big budgets and portfolios that we're going to authorize, uh, that we're going to fund for programs to happen. The second layer underneath that is a large solution layer. That layer is the implementation of the programs, large solution release trains. Uh, We'll talk about trains in, in this program as well. Um, and beneath that is where everyone starts. It's the essential level. Used to be called the team level. Um, it's where we actually, the rubber hits the road. It's where software code gets written. It's where business processes get defined. It's where we have backlogs and user stories and Scrum and XPs. And it's where most of the action happens, right? So those three layers together, with the essential being the one that is essential for everything at the bottom layer. Those three layers are how we scale agility.
2: So Mike, uh, when you talk about those different layers, what is the role of architects in those different layers? And do they still exist in Scaled Agile?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question, Roland. So uh, in order to answer it, we're going to expand our, we're going to qualify what kind of architect uh, is, is in context for those layers. At the essential layer, where we're dealing with the mechanics and the building of the products and services, um, in a, in, a, in a teams with a team level and, and dealing with agile release trains. We're talking about system architects, generally those folks who are focused on entire systems, whether they are operational systems or billing systems, finance, whatever they are. At a layer above, the large solution layer where we might be putting in, for example, um, an autonomous driving vehicle Um, which has lots of systems, both software and and hardware, right? We're we're talking about a solution architect who is needing to bring together lots of different teams from different agile release trains in order to make a large solution work and including essentially suppliers, right? Mm -hmm. And and customers together, right? And those those are very, that's the very large programs, right? And then at the portfolio layer, we are talking about enterprise architects. Enterprise architects focused mostly on investment and st- overall standards for the organization, uh, for especially for when it, re- where it concerns uh, policy layer uh, compliance type concerns.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so what does that mean? when you look at the, the quote-unquote average architect, and, and we all know that this thing doesn't exist and it's obviously a, an abstraction, but what does that mean for uh, the training of architects? Because when I think about how people typically get in enterprise architecture or business process management for that matter, it's they just get exposed to it and curiosity kicks in. Um, but I can assume with SAFE, or Scaled Agile as a framework behind it. They have to learn a little bit more than just doing
1: the technical or business stuff. Oh, for sure. In Scaled Agile, there's some prescribed training, uh, which conveniently brings together all the different roles um, in some trainings so that everyone speak in the same language. And in other trainings, such as uh, Safe for Architects class, Uh, it's talking about how to be an architect how to lay how to balance laying enough architectural runways so that you can have enough governance but not strangle the innovation of the teams right so Mm -hmm. so that's there's that broad training to answer your question and then there's the the more detailed uh role specific training that's available from a scaled agile context not including specific tools and programs and uh, DevOps kind of technical training, which is done in addition to that. So It's always important to look at the organization and where it's at in its maturity curve, where the kind of tools and processes are needed, and think about gauging the training to that level. Mm -hmm. Makes sense.
0: That sounds amazing, Mike. But I know a question that a lot of our listeners are going to have is about the value uh, of Scaled Agile. And I want to to have you set the context behind which you would get that value from implementing a framework like this, from having a mindset that looks at Scaled Agile as as part of how you operate your business, how you think about and conceptualize BPA, EA, and, and how it all fits together. So tell me, where do I get value from this approach?
1: Yeah, very really good question, JM, and let me take that in three pieces. So the value context is going to talk about um, improving product speed to market, improving product quality and lowering risk together, and improving sustainability, because we don't want to just release.
0: Can you dig into those three things for me? Those seem like really ambitious goals, but how how does this this framework specifically target each one?
1: Sure so when we talk about the first one improving product speed to market we're looking at less reinventing of the wheel by improving process reuse and chunking bits of work to improve collaboration among developers and product owners so this is bread and butter agility we talk about Uh. chunking the things that we want to deliver remember those products and services into large epics Features and user stories. Mm. Right. Epics are the biggest. Features are in the middle. User stories are the smallest bits of work that produce value, mm. right? And that's and that there's a lot more detail to it, but at a high level, that's how we chunk and improve that product speed to okay. market. The second piece is improving product quality and lowering risk. And if we want to think about the most tangible benefit of. In, bringing together business process management and scaled agility safe this would be it so folks who invest in bpm will will appreciate the ability to say look you know there's a project going on we want to be able to advise the project team this is the way things really happen around here And these are the GRC impacts related to this process. So if you're going to develop this product and service, please take these safety concerns into consideration. Please take these financial controls into consideration. Mm -hmm. Right? That's always important for any project, product, service. And it is doubly important in scale agility when we're talking about allowing teams to have more flexibility and freedom. We wanna make sure they are well informed We want to make sure that when they're developing test cases uh, in the context of BDD behavior driven development and TDD test driven development, that when they're writing those tests, that they are actually accurate tests, Mm -hmm. because you'll often hear the phrase shift left, which means that we do testing. We find bugs earlier, but if you uncover and dig a little deeper in that, you'll find that folks often are writing tests that might actually not reflect reality. When you combine a good BPM practice that has relevant processes, risks, and controls documented, what you're doing is you're feeding those frontline project teams with really high quality uh, pieces of data, pieces of controls and risks that are necessary to produce accurate tests, which are going to release in result in faster and higher quality release of products and services. That are lower risk as well. The third piece is improving sustainability. One of the misconceptions of scale agility is that it's all about product development, it's all about the big release. Actually, an agile release train is a construct used to encompass the teams and the product, the, the services and the systems that are developed. When a train is launched, it continues throughout the life cycle of the product or service. Everyone boards the train. Everyone boards a train, creates the software, creates the product, creates a service, and then it runs. So that team, a part of it, will be responsible for sustaining it in the future, which includes the operations and maintenance of those products and services as well. And as part of that sustainability, it's important to make the right investments in the tools and technologies. So Enterprise architecture, right, to make sure that we control our technical debt over the long term, right? And cloud services to make sure that we have the flexibility from a technology perspective to quickly use the best products and services and not make, have to make massive investments, right? The large investments that take a long time and take away from our product and service investment portfolio, right? So this is all, right, and coming back to the, the architectural runway concept, being able to put in the right amount of enterprise architecture and BPM, it touches, it, it really impacts our product quality and lowering risk because we can use processes as part of writing test cases. Enterprise architecture is used in improving sustainability because we can do those things like rationalize application portfolios to make sure that we are using uh, the, the, the most cost effective applications and services for our products and services going forward. So I'm not hearing a lot in this about
0: things like organizational design or like software development. Does this does this concern that or is this, is this an independent layer uh, sort of on top of that?
1: That is another layer down below how we do the things that I just discussed. Mm. And those are specialty topics that are outside of scope of our discussion here. Oh. So for example, I'm not going to bore the audience right now with how to set up a continuous delivery pipeline or do DevOps in detail and building software. Right or how we bring in uh, the the top talent on doing scaled agile projects. Uh, Those are important, uh, but they are details of the higher level goals that we're discussing today. Agreed that that
2: we don't go into detail for this uh, podcast here, but for the listeners out there, there are obviously also very interesting concepts about how to structure your organization to become more agile. So I will put a link in the show notes about the quote unquote Spotify model that basically goes away with the traditional organization that you see in organizations, which is a hierarchy. that's a good segue when you say about how do we implement this. So say you convinced me that uh, scale and scale agile and safe is a good thing. So how do I make this happen now? What are the steps that I need to have a look at if I want to get my feet wet and, and take the first steps
1: on this journey? So we'll talk about how to do it in three big pieces. Number one is leadership. Number two is doing it small. And number three is scaling it up. hmm We always start with leadership, because there has to be a commitment from the organization, right? There has to be a commitment from somebody, whether it is a line of business leader, or the enterprise uh, CEO, or or, or some area that has enough responsibility and authority for products and services to say, we're going to do this. We are committed, and we're going to put people in the right roles and support them to do this. And that includes training, right? Uh, Scaled Agile Framework for Enterprise, they call it a tipping point. They call it a tipping point where a large organization, whether it's again a line of business or an enterprise as a whole, says we have to do things differently. Mm -hmm. But yeah,
2: before we get to this point, say uh, you just learn about it, you're relatively low in the organization's hierarchy, how do you or what are good techniques? Uh, to make your superiors aware of this, to get this leadership
1: commitment? This is a good point. And the tipping point that we just discussed is kind of, how do I say this? It's a bit of a unicorn.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm just going to admit that right out front. Uh, Traditional safe teachings will say that, you know, there has to be a big tipping point among leadership and then the rest of the organization gets training and everyone does the right thing and then all of a sudden we're agile. It does not happen that way. It is a long battle. So when I talk about that second step, doing it small, I encourage limited experiments. I encourage smaller tipping points within smaller areas of leadership to maybe develop one product or one service. Uh, to try to to show leadership because folks need to be shown. You can't tell them to build some credibility to say this actually works.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you want you want to start small, get wins, and then be able to to grow it from there. And the value you talked about before, can you get that at a smaller level before you scale it to the whole enterprise? Does this work well at, at different varieties of of uh, context?
1: You can if you set expectations properly, <laughs> which everyone here knows. I'm talking to a bunch of consultants yeah. <laughs> that expectation setting is key. So when we do th- something small and we say we're going to maybe improve, make some small improvement on a product or service that's already released to market mm-hmm. or maybe an internal product or service for the organization, we want to talk about uh, be able to succinctly produce uh, marketing material, internal marketing material, to educate folks on how we did this, why we did it, and what would be the benefits if we did it bigger. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we gonna need to go to the the concepts of of education that we need to go into it with uh, when we're doing it small.
0: It sounds like you got, you got a, a, a like a leadership question earlier. Does that mean you're also are looking for a champion, someone who's going to represent this methodology specifically?
1: Yes, when we're doing it small, that first step applies. We are looking for a leader to allow us to do it small, Uh whether it is a department, a division, or or whatever it might be, because the next one up might be a line of business. right? Um, Don't generally try to tackle the enterprise layer with all of its complex finance cross-departments and security and compliance concerns. Pick those areas that have less compliance needs, less that are less security sensitive, mm-hmm. because those will be governance battles that will be front and center. They will quash any kind of agility progress or proof of concept that can be made. So thinking about all the steps that you just mentioned, what
2: would be a realistic timeline that you've seen in the past?
1: I would say six to six to nine months for doing it small, Um, And I know that might sound like a lot. I would try to keep it under a year and I would say don't try to do anything less than six months Mm -hmm, because there's going to be some training among the folks who are trying to do this small limited experiment, right? There's going to be mistakes. There's going to be life that interferes with people who are key role in key roles yeah. uh, and you want to make sure you stay focused on that internal marketing message this is not to change the world change the organization's future direction this is to convince people in your organization that this is a better way of delivering products and services mm-hmm. right and when we're doing that we're focusing on people and laying runway from two co- from two perspectives Uh, From a people perspective, we're looking at building cross-functional teams. We're trying to break a department mindset. And this might involve a little bit of negotiation with other departments if your your leadership and your permission to do the experiment is within one small department. There might be, hey, can we borrow XYZ person for a few months or maybe 10 hours a week? Because you're going to want folks and key roles from different areas to be able to help you spread that marketing message when this is going well. Right. And you're going to want to have that cross department, cross functional representation on the team because it's going to be a key message in and of itself that we have to do things that are that are bringing together different folks from different backgrounds and experiences on the same team that makes sense do i
2: have to bring all those people now in one room and lock them in um or how does it work in these
1: wonderful COVID times that we live in the whole industry's had to adapt to that and scaled agile itself never really liked to do or there was no such thing as remote scaled agile training before COVID. there wasn't mm-hmm. and now it's all remote training um, so in itself, Agil- the scaled agile became agile in itself, and and figured out how to do it with tools like, you know, Google Meet and Teams and and uh, and and whiteboarding stuff. I use Mural quite a bit, um, and it's I find that in delivering scaled agile training, I've actually find it to be advantageous in many ways because everyone's sort of on the same page. They can have say, access to the same live digital material, and we're using pretty cool tools like Mural, for example, and um, we it, 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 it really gets it done. It re- I really do find it to be as effective mm-hmm. now that I'm doing it. That's good. Yeah, good to hear.
2: Um, what is the impact then if you look at the people, you build those new roles, those new skills, Um, You've set up the stage with the tooling, which obviously every IT person loves. Uh, What are the next steps that you would have to look at to uh, do this, do small step
1: correctly? Yeah, so we talked about doing it small. We talked about, you know, making sure that you've got cross-functional teams represented. Um, You've laid enough runway with respect to processes, governance, and tools. Uh, So when we say tools, we're talking about basic Kanban and Scrum tools, JIRA, Uh, Mm -hmm. existing or lightweight software development tools, existing cloud-enabled BPM or EA tools. This is not the time for massive investment. This is the time for using what we have and trying to use it effectively. Um, And building a runway from processes and governance. So when we talk about processes and governance in any program, any context, we're usually going to come up against policies and and, and governance boards, right? And that's why one of the things I've mentioned is is a recommendation for doing it small is try to pick something that is not going to be as security intensive, right? Not going to be as as privacy, data privacy compliant. Said that will not always be possible, but just, just, you know, try to do things that will keep the processes and governance lightweight Mm -hmm. for this experiment to work. And just to be very clear, you're still using
2: obviously your architecture tool, and you create the diagrams and matrices and all those other artifacts as you would have done before. Or what are you doing here?
1: Yeah, that's right. So if we're creating an application system, we then we're going to document the as is and to be using whatever mechanisms that currently exist. Even if it's Visio, we're going to do a, a current state and a future state. We're going to use whiteboards, mm. electronic whiteboards these days if as necessary. We're going to do small lightweight things and we're going to but we're going to do practice good fundamentals right. in doing so. Right. That's the key. In, in in a doing it small context.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're trying to just um, ease people into this this mental framework and into this way of being. This practice you're encouraging, and I, I would say with everything we talk about on this podcast, one of the first questions that comes up is how do I get started and what's going to convince people to do this along with me? And it sounds like you you know you've said involve fewer barriers to entry, involve fewer complexities, so that your wins can come early and can be sustained and grown with a business case to expand it Uh, am am i am i hearing
1: that right you are right on and this brings us back to setting expectations and it is just (laughs) so important to to just keep on that marketing message because you have to convince humans yeah that in the next step when we start to go and and the the reason to doing this is so that we can have permission Mm -hmm. to scale it up
0: yeah i was gonna ask how, how do you do something, you know, small and then take it cross-functional, take it cross-enterprise, take it cross-business unit? You know, obviously where, where you're achieving value and getting a better way of operating, a way of working uh, at the level that you're working at. But organizations want to see the transformation, really, they want to see the, the business value at large ROI at large impact of the organization, if they're thinking about a a tectonic shift like this in mindset, then what is it going to, how you scale it up for the whole enterprise? What is what's necessary to take it there?
1: Yeah. So scaling it up is going to involve larger investment. It's going to involve larger risk and it's going to involve risk for executives who frequently do not like to take risks. Um, In the context of an an industry where there's uh, uh, their lunch is getting eaten because of technology advancements in the industry or or tectonic shifts in in the industry from a competition perspective then there's already going to be that that push built in when we're talking in a more of a bottom-up context like we have been which is many organizations that aren't feeling that fire we're thinking about how do we ease into a scaling it up con- uh, uh, uh scenario where risk can be taken but it can be limited by executives so let's talk about how we scale it up now that we've we've had some experience we've got a marketing message internally we've got folks kind of understanding what we mean by agility and what we mean by building products and services and bringing together people from different areas let's talk about scaling it up where we say instead of you know six to nine months we're talking about year time frames year one year two year three so we're thinking about picking a cross-department product or service, or one that directly affects customers. Setting bigger goals, adding more people, laying more runway. Right. Uh, so we're going to talk about the same things: people and runway from a tools perspective, and runway from a processes and governance perspective, and when when we're talking about scaling. Uh-huh. So. We think about the context of scaling it up. Everyone's familiar with uh, large projects that are done at, at companies, such as an ERP. We're going to replace our ERP. Uh, we're going to put in new finance, new operations modules, whatever it might be. These are still. I still find these to be convenient ways to to rally the organization around a large goal and in investment prerogative. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in in. in enable change through that vehicle because for leadership to to say we're going to do something different on this kind of scale there generally needs to be the investment and the commitment to match and expectations by the organization to get there so in this way i find that organizations will have an easier time Moving into this new paradigm of scaled agility and and applying these good practices, if they can find a partner who is already practiced in these kinds of things, a a large uh, implementation specialist that's going to take an ERP or some operational component of their business, and they're going to say, we're going to push out these new products and services. And it's going to affect all of these internal processes. They're going to be different. And we're going to do this in an agile way. Mm -hmm. And that is a really convenient way for an organization to bring in folks who've done this before and help side-by-side training and mentoring of their own folks internally to say, this is how we are doing this. And then it becomes more institutionalized going forward
0: yeah I, I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast before but these technology implementations are are also really just a catalyst for change right like you're, you're using the excuse in some ways of like a system landscape upgrade or an ERP implementation to make a practice change in, in the way in which you uh, approach things um the only concern that i have and i'd love to uh, get your opinion on this is the use of um, external partners and support um, the difference between sort of body shops and role filling versus thought leadership and strategic consulting talk, talk to me about where you've seen those uh, the difference between those and, and the effect they have on the efficacy of programs like this.
1: Yeah, it's important to, to pull from the right the, to balance the right kinds of consulting advisory that is needed in these kinds of large programs. So you will need consulting advisory at both ends. You will need the, the the folks who have been there, done that, yeah. uh, with respect to how it is delivered, with respect to the content of the products and services, that will never change, right? Um, it will also need, in when we're looking to scale, uh, the delivery of the products and service components themselves. And we're, we're cranking out the features and the stories that are going to to comprise the uh, the software processes that are implemented. We're looking at folks who have the ability to deliver software um, globally, Mm -hmm. right? So we often find that there are uh, consulting firms that are are pretty good at at being able to say, look, we have a cross-functional team already that can deliver this kind of software using these cloud services, right, in this entire continuous delivery pipeline right and all we need to do is plug in your experts into theirs who are going to be the process experts Mm -hmm. who are going to be the product experts right right? and when we bring those folks to the same table we see that we're using the the expertise of the folks who've done who've, who've built these kinds of products and services who already have a continuous delivery pipeline who already have investments in microsoft azure or amazon aws already have those teams that have worked before in this context right and what we're doing is we're bringing in the organization's experts from the product perspective and training them on how to do their it departments on how to do that incremental delivery of software using those cloud tools Uh working with those offshore teams by the way this blends in nicely, plugs in nicely with that previous question, how has COVID impacted everything? Well, guess what? If we're trying to deliver software with in a global context with folks who are not in the same country, right? Then we're looking at doing remote collaboration anyway. It's just that now what we're doing is we're doing global collaboration with everyone not just the software developers, which kind of puts, from a team, cross-functional team perspective, puts everyone on the same page. It puts everyone in the same communication bucket in terms of how we communicate together, which can help. So what does that mean
2: when we're when we talking about tools, for example? Um, in the past, we obviously seen a siloed approach to it. You know, the the project management office had their Microsoft project or whatever other tool they had. The architects had their architecture tool and so on and so forth. What does that mean from your perspective in a more agile organization or more scaled agile organization for that? How does the tool stack will change? Or where would you see if you were a software vendor, where would you see a development need to support
1: scaled agile? Right. So when we're looking to scale it up, we're looking forward. We're looking to the future to understand that we're going to need to think about how we're going to embed the governance bodies into our projects to make sure that they are compliant. So we're thinking about IT governance bodies from a security uh, perspective. We're thinking about governance from a, a policy and a regulatory perspective, right? We're thinking about those things because they are real and they will slow us down they didn't disappear just because we're doing agility i promise you they are still there Mm -hmm. (laughs) so our runway from a tools perspective needs to match needs to be able to bring those in and think about how we are are building out our products and services um, our portfolio of products and services to scale at agility so there's generally three areas of investment we want to make from a tool perspective number one is to upgrade our smaller uh, user story and, and Kanban tools and and into more portfolio management tools. And a good example of this is going from Jira to Jira Align, for example, where we're saying, hey, we're going to start taking these products and services and managing them from a portfolio perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next area is BPMS and EA tools. So business process management systems and enterprise architecture systems that, and here's the asterisk, they, they have powerful integration capabilities. Because integration is the word here. We want to be able to, for example, have a key financial process that gets documented and linked to 10 user stories in five features where it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Because guess what, if you've got some great business process management capability and the folks who are building the products and services and the new consultants who don't know your business, if they can't access it in a timely, relevant way, then it's not going to do anyone any good. Mm-hmm. And it's going to slow down the delivery of products and services, right? Right. So integration is key. And the third piece is cloud enabled DevOps tool chain. Mm-hmm. So using Azure native WS to really make sure that we can deliver software in small bits and do it in a, in, a, um, in a cost-effective way. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of things that are that are talking through using cloud tools and scale, scalable tools themselves. Is, is, that, is that required the parallelism of, of you know, using scaling SaaS tools and hyperscalers as delivery mechanisms to
1: align with your methodology? Not required specifically to use cloud tools, but it is important to use scalable tools. Ah, yes, right. yes. It, it, we need to be able to say, well, you know, fi- we find that our product is really failing to scale to the number of customers that we have. So we need to add a hundred servers right now. Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't have an infrastructure scaling capability, then we're not going to do very well when we try to release this to market. Right. Right. So if we had a cloud uh, strategy to begin with, then we could, There's it's more complex than this, but we could flip a switch. Uh, we could have our 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 system architects and our solution architects uh, take that into consideration when they're making the investment to begin with, right? Right. So those are the important reasons that we want to have those scalable infrastructure uh, pieces available. (laughs)
0: Because <laughs> if it's like six months to get a new piece of hardware in-house, you're, you're not going to scale in an effective manner. You're, you're always going to be lagging behind, right?
1: Right. And companies can do internal. They can do internal scaling. So, so some large organizations say, look, this is, for whatever reason, this is going to be important for us to keep this in-house. We're going to have rack servers, and we're going to expand 50 of them if we need to. Um that it just tends to be that for most organizations, it's more cost effective, generally to have a cloud provider be able to do that for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, having said
2: that, you always refer to the governance part, again, so now we've built our people, quote, unquote, we trained them, we set up our runway, and we invested in our scalable tools. Um, what impact do you see on
1: governance? How should that change? So those governance bodies are still going to play an important role that already exists. From a compliance perspective, and I've mentioned security and policy from regulatory perspectives pretty frequently. Um, what we're doing now is we're adding another one. We're adding a new one for most folks called the LACE, Lean Agile Center of Excellence, the LACE. And the LACE is going to be comprised of folks who are experts in Scaled Agility and being able to make sure that we've got the right folks in the right key positions. We've got System Architects, we've got uh, Solution Architects, we've got Enterprise Architects, we've got uh, Solution Release Train Engineers, we've got folks who um, have been getting the right experience, not just training, but the right experience. We've got folks who are cross functionally assigned to teams so that teams are well balanced we've got the the organization in set up in such a way and running in such a way that we're we have a healthy balance of a portfolio and as part of that is the cooperation with the BPM center of excellence with the enterprise architecture committee right who are looking at investment in long term products and solutions because the lean agile center of excellence is going to hear it from the front lines we can't release this product or service because it's taking too long because our architects are, are, are you know, sitting on their hands about the, the new um, investment that we're asking to make. One of the typical ones that I've heard in, in going and um, helping to put in a new uh, architecture and engineering organization at one of the big four accounting firms is the constant fight between the folks who are releasing products and services, trying to do push. Out new technology and the IT security folks, right, the IT security and compliance folks who say, no, you have to go through these procedures. You have to go through these processes before you release this thing. So the Lean Agile Center of Excellence will often find itself being kind of a facilitator to help bring those together to say, look, we all have the same goal, but we all want to make sure that we're releasing products and services in a timely manner That are quality assured. Remember the big statement that we talked about earlier, right? Uh That's part of the quality assurance. So it's going to be important that that stuff maintains balance. And that is what collaborative COEs and governance bodies are supposed to be doing for us is helping us strike that quality balance.
0: And I would I would assume if you get like senior leadership commitment and maybe even a mandate, then that equips and powers that center of excellence that lace um, that that to be the connective tissue with the authority to ensure all the partners are at the table to have that conversation, because I feel like one of the biggest challenges I see in a lot of organizations is bringing those people together at the table, and if I'm hearing it correctly, that do it small value you if you can show that kind of value early in single-threaded conversations or small group conversations, then when you get to that larger, you know, setting up lace for the entire organization, you can prove that point back and incentivize or mandate or both
1: people to the table to give you the information you require. Exactly. Exactly. We'll fi- I will find that a lace typically is started in those do-it-small kind of, kind of areas because they've proven that this works Ah. they've established their credibility oh yeah they've communicated to key folks that this can work and they've found themselves in a situation where they need to bring those other older governance bodies more more conservative and and kind of heavier governance bodies on board Mm -hmm. so make no mistake you are absolutely right J.M. the the most difficult part of this is Getting those governance bodies to communicate together and to stay on the same, same trajectory for acting in the interest of the organization as a whole, mm-hmm. releasing those quality assured products and services in a timely, cost effective way. It is easier said than done. Oh, yeah. But it is important that these folks communicate. Couldn't agree more.
2: So, Mike, that is obviously a very good closure to your initial statement. Uh, the one question that comes to mind is Does scale safe, does scale agile will replace everything in an organization? Or are there, for example, activities that an EA department, for example, still would have to do that are outside
1: of the project delivery? So, that's a good question. Um, In an organization, Scaled Agile Framework for Enterprise, because remember what I said, that all the products and services are developed in the context of an agile release train, right? Everybody boards the train. Everybody helps deliver, develop and deliver new products and services, and then they run that train forever. Mm Mm-hmm right if every organiza- if the organization is completely on board with agile and everything is done in the context of these agile release trains then the answer is that these all of these governance bodies now exist for the purpose of keeping these trains running in a cost effective way period if the organization has separate lines of business and LOB 1 is the only one on board with scaled agile framework for enterprise then we still have to think about a federated enterprise architecture organization where not everyone is on board with the Scaled Agile thing yet. And maybe this LOB has a different approach to their part of enterprise architecture in a federated context. The question
2: that I have is, do you think Agile is something for people outside of IT departments or agile delivery projects? Have you seen that elsewhere in an organization?
1: absolutely do, and I like this question because it's so important when we talk about cross-functional teams. When we talk about building an Agile team, we are always talking about building a cross-functional Agile team that has the skills and background necessary to completely cover all the aspects of getting a quality-assured product or service out the door and maintained and operated. And that includes more than just technical folks. Mm -hmm. It includes the folks who have built the processes, who understand the customer, who understand the market, who understand the maintenance procedures, right? Mm -hmm. And all the different elements of that product and service necessary to build it. Because remember, it's those folks that are going to be writing the test cases from a business perspective to say, look, you can write all the technical test cases all day long." but if they are the wrong test cases from a business perspective then we we can't push us to market and we're not going to win in the marketplace so it's always important and necessary that the scaled agile team is not just a bunch of tech folks it is absolutely including everyone with a stake in the delivery of this product or service in context especially of that question i really like for folks to think about some of the frustrations they've had with their own in their own organizations, with developing products or services, um, making improvements to processes, or, or getting, getting value to the customer, where you see that, you know, this is just not happening because of XYZ. Maybe it's because we feel like there's too much governance. It's too heavy. It takes too long to get an investment in a new piece of software or the software that we have is not effectively implemented, or the, 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 the people I need to work with are always busy, right? They never have time for me, or they never have time for this product or service that I think is the most important one. Um, so it's, I'd really like to hear about the, the kinds of issues, and, and I'll definitely be available for, for email and, and contact later, that folks are having, the frustrations they're having, um, because there is an answer, it may not be a quick answer, it may not be um, an answer that can be solved by you alone, but there are frustrations that folks have that can generally we can generally talk about and get over. So I'd really like to, for folks to think about those kinds of things and, and maybe have some, have some questions ready for us. And we're going to take a quick break
2: and after that we're going to talk about all the blockages that might come up in your Agile process. Welcome back. So before the break, we spoke about blockages that might happen in your agile delivery. And I know, Mike, you this is one of your favorite topics. Um, and you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you're already writing around a patent around this topic. So can you enlighten us a little bit about what you're doing in regards to lean agile blockages? Sure.
1: So every organization has some issue, or some reasons, one or more reasons, why they're they're not achieving the kind of agility they wish they could get, right? And we've talked about heavy things such as governance, too much governance, or not having access to the right people because everyone's so busy all the time, right? So if we if we kind of simplify this and bring it up a level, right? We might think of of different dimensions of of the typical ground conditions that are that are found in organizations, right? What we need is a way to quantify what the Lean Agile Blocker Index of an organization is. So, if an in- organization has eighty percent blockage from Lean Flow, they're not very lean. If, it, conversely, if an organization has twenty percent blockage of their Lean Flow, they're pretty lean, and they probably shouldn't be trying to get too much leaner because there is a, a diminishing marginal returns, right? And Diving in a little, down a little deeper into that, well, that's fine. That's easy to say, right? If we're 80% blocked, how did we know that we were 80% blocked, right? Mm-hmm. So, what Laby does is uses a set of, of real ground conditions uh, measured from the existing projects. So, for example, in a Kanban situation where there are architects. Who are answering difficult questions uh, on investments, on how systems should be built. And there are developers in five teams, in one group of architects. And those developers just want to write code really fast, get the product out the door really fast. And the architects are having to answer difficult questions, and they're blocking the teams from going forward. The way that is tracked in a Kanban type system in scaled agile is called a program board and you put up these little stickies all over the place sticky notes right and in the architecture column you have lots of red stickies stacking up Mm -hmm. and you've got strings that are connected to all of the architects red red stickies and when you've got so many strings what you're seeing is that the teams are blocked from progress because they're waiting on the architects to make decisions for them Right, that's blockage. Mm-hmm. So, so blockage is unaddressed dependencies. In this case, it is. This this one example. It is. There are many other examples of of d- different kinds of blockage um, that can deal with resourcing uh, root causes or technology root causes. Uh, and there's there's these other quote unquote strings we can pull on to try to find where those important metrics are. But the concept is to be able to take these all of these different blockages together and to paint a picture in an easy metric to say that we are x percent blocked and we're going to set a target to be y percent blocked next quarter next year next three years whatever it might be right Mm -hmm. and this is a quantitative way for us to get there
2: so the idea is something to set up something like an early warning tsunami
1: system it is it is it's a way for organizations to pull the right levers because it might not be that we need to invest in a, a new large platform. Maybe it's that we need to get better collaboration between our lead agile center center of excellence and the IT governance boards. Mm-hmm.
0: And and how do you set sequential targets? Obviously, you, you're if you're at eighty percent block and you're and you want to go down to twenty percent. I'm assuming that's not an overnight thing. How do you say okay? So this year, here's what our goal should be, and here's the kind of business value we think we can expect from reaching that
1: goal. How do you make those determinations? Right. So that's where we would bring in experts who have kind of tackled these sort of issues before and look at where the organization currently is with respect to their culture, Mm -hmm. with respect to their product portfolio, and with respect to the resources they have available to them to make a change Mm. Um, and look at opportunities. One of the opportunities I mentioned earlier is to say, hey, do we have an opportunity to bring in a vendor who's had experience with agility before? right, and can put in cloud-enabled services for a new product or service for that's going to be a major capital investment for our organization, right? Mm -hmm. When those When those kind of conditions, we look at those kind of conditions, see if they exist, and try to latch on where we can, and we say, okay, based on these weaknesses and these strengths, here's the levers we can pull to reduce our blockage and be able to produce products and services faster in the next three years. In the next five years, it is going to be a year time frame. Typically, it will not be in a month time frame.
0: Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's a there's a big assessment process involved in this or could there could be a a, a relatively substantial assessment across a lot of different places. I mean, you talk about scaling upwards, but still, I heard you say the word culture. That's a complicated thing. I heard you say the word uh, environment or architecture. That's also a lot of components to it. It seems like it would be great to bring somebody or an organization in that has this ingrained in how they assess everything. Exactly. So what you're getting out of it has you know built into its very DNA the structure of the analysis you want to get out and the and you have a translation key ready to go towards the value that you could propose from adopting this practice
1: exactly the first part of this is what i would do is as assessment a laby assessment to understand where the blockers are period across those different areas and then we would talking about we would talk about bringing in experts so an expert in architecture an expert in organizational change to start Chipping away at those levers to say we need to do X, Y, and Z in order to help the to to send to do better internal marketing among our leadership, right, Uh, and to the organization, right to to uh, tailor our products and services to the market in such a way that it's more going to be more effective when we produce bits and release release bits of software, right. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be different experts to come in to help solve it. But what my organization would do is to help. Identify those problems and figure out which experts to bring in, and how, and even more importantly, how we can take advantage of opportunities to to make these accelerate these in a in an investment scenario faster.
2: I'm really curious to see how you bring that to life, and ideally, how that will be added into a tool chain that you mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation. Mm-hmm. But speaking of which, uh, Mike. Uh, How does your organization, how does Lean Scaled Agiles can help your clients in becoming better on their
1: safe journey? So uh, the first way is, as I mentioned, the Lean Agile Blocker Index, uh, which is a patent pending we have on the the approach to uncovering those problems that are really blocking agility. Um, And then, as I mentioned, from the lady perspective, there are several levers to pull. Uh, My organization specializes in the architecture mm-hmm. lever and how we actually pull BPM and architecture excellence to be able to say that those areas we need to lay a little more runway, need to improve the training or the tools for our organization to 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 be able to be more effective in architecture. Mm-hmm. I would lean on other organizations and other experts for the uh, organizational um, change sorts of, uh, of questions, for example. Right alongside leadership, the first thing we talk about is training. Folks, we wanna make sure that we are on the same page about what Scaled Agility is and the goals and how we can get there. So we're speaking the same language when we're building those cross-functional teams and especially when we're getting those organizational bodies to start collaborating together.
2: So you're offering training for
1: Scaled Agile and BPM and EA? Absolutely. We offer a full catalog of training for Scaled Agile and BPM and EA tools such as Software AG's ARIS architecture tool. Yep. That's great. So thanks, Mike, uh,
2: for the whole conversation. Where can people reach you if they're now very interested in what you discussed and, and want to learn more about you, about your offering, about the topic at hand?
1: Sure. They can email me at mike at leanscaledarchitects.com. Or the website, leanscalearchitects.com. Or hit me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com slash
2: And of course, we will put all those links into the show notes so you don't have to um, take notes of those. Well, I think that's a wrap, Mike. So thanks for being our guest um, on our show today and our first interview that went without major hiccups. I think everybody on the call was very nervous. So that's (laughs) great. (laughs) But we had a lot of fun. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing, Roland? That that is also true.
0: For fun and for great business knowledge. And Mike, uh, you, you brought a, a wealth of knowledge to the, the podcast and hopefully our listeners uh, both enjoyed what you had to say and you can follow up uh, with Mike both through all the different links he's provided and also, as as Roland mentioned, finding more information uh, on the web- website whatsyourbaseline.com
2: for a lot of the things we need. Thanks, folks, for listening in to this very interesting interview with Mike Eidengren from Lean Scaled Architects and his very interesting concepts about agile blockings and the laby indicator. As always, um, reach out to us for feedback at hello at whatsyourbaseline.com. And also, you can leave us a voice message when you click on the link in the show notes.
0: You can also leave us a nice rating or some feedback on your podcaster of choice. And if you want to review the show, you've got lots of good things to say or some feedback we can take and use for future shows. We'd love to hear from you and respond to you as we go. And as always, you'll find the show notes for this episode at whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode six. My name is Roland Volt. I'm J.M. Erlinson.
1: I'm Mike Eidinggren.
0: And we'll see you in the next one.